Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. There are these two scholars in the United States, Weisbrot and Jeffrey Sachs, who have a, a think tank in Washington, D.C., and they calculated that in 2018 and 19 alone, 43,000 Venezuelans died directly due to these sanctions. That's the voice of Venezuelan sociologist Maria Pius Victor. In this week's show, we speak to Maria about the ongoing coup attempts in Venezuela. Stay tuned. You're listening to Latin Ways. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Maria Pius Victor. She's the author of Liberty or Death The Life and Campaigns of Richard L. Bowell. I'm delighted to have you on our show, Maria. Thank you for being with us. Oh, I'm delighted to uh, be able to uh, talk with you and your and your listeners, uh, Sylvia. Thank you so much. Can we talk a little bit as we are approaching the commemoration of Hugo Chavez uh, passing? Um, what this revolution has meant for the world? Well, it uh, it truly was a a, a turning point, and uh, historians uh, in 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 the future when they analyze not only the history of Venezuela, but of Latin America, there will be two important eras or points of history that, that they will discuss before and after. The first before and after would be uh, 1960 with the Cuban Revolution. And then it would be when Hugo Chavez uh, became president of Venezuela it was actually in 1999 he, he was voted in. So Venezuela's history is absolutely has to be analyzed in before Chavez and after Chavez. That has been uh, not only for for Venezuela, but for Latin America, because it brought in an example that other countries followed. So we had then Evo Morales in Bolivia. We had uh, Correa in Ecuador, we had uh, the Kirchners in Argentina, we had Lula in Brazil, and they came together, uh, these different types of left-wing governments, if you can call them that, right? So Lula wasn't exactly the same as as Chavez, and Chavez wasn't exactly like Correa, uh, but it doesn't matter. That diversity was fantastic because they all agreed on the main issue. The main issue was the resources of their countries should no longer be for the profit of corporations or the, um, I would say, the benefit of the elites, but that the People were hungry. The people needed that those resources to be to be plowed back in public services, in education, in health, in building houses, and in building infrastructure. So th this this was the golden thread that went through these uh, left wing governments. Now, of course, what we are seeing uh, the year 2020 is that there was a, a, a retrenchment of the of the right wing, uh, I would say, of the United States. 
the United States all of a sudden realized, oh, we dropped the ball on Latin America. So they unleashed upon the region the terrors of a new type of war. It is called the war of the third generation, or uh, there are several names for it. Um, it is basically based, first of all, on economics. Uh, this is what um, what uh, Nixon did to Chile all those years ago. He said, we're going to make the economy of Chile scream. And so they did. The uh, economy of Chile, Duena Allende, tanked completely. And it was, of course, due to the United States. But now it is even greater what has happened. They have brought Venezuela to, to its knees. They destroyed its currency. The Bolivar is practically destroyed. And they did all these kinds of uh, economic manipulations. The economic war became extreme when uh, President Maduro uh, won his second election, which was May uh, of 1919. What they did was they said, nilly-willy, we don't, we don't recognize this election uh, for no reason except that the United States didn't want it to be recognized. Uh, President Maduro won with 67% of the vote. 67. That's more than Trudeau has. That's more than Trump has. That's more than half a dozen, you know, presidents in Europe has. So they said, no, he's not the president of Venezuela. We declare the presidency an usurper. And the real president is this, this clown, Guaido, who stood up in a public plaza, lifted his hand up and said, I declare I am the president of Venezuela. Everybody in Venezuela laughed at this. They thought this is ridiculous. What is this guy? He's never he, he's never been elected. He's never been in an election of any sort. And then the next day we didn't laugh because we realized this was what the United States was trying to do. And it used all its power, all its diplomatic and especially its media power to destroy the reputation of a fantastic, honorable man, which is um, uh, Maduro. and. Uh, put forth uh, as president of Venezuela some fellow who was until that moment uh, unknown to the to the people of Venezuela who was this man Guaido, and from that moment on the sanctions became horrific for Venezuela. The economic sanctions. The United States then said that uh, that since Venezuela was not a, a democracy, said until Maduro left. Uh, the government, there would be these sanctions on anyone and anything that traded with Venezuela. And it imposed this on European countries too. And so these sanctions were like a siege, like a medieval siege. You know, in the Middle Ages, the, the armies would come and surround a castle and starve the people to death until they could no more stand it. And then they'd give up and they'd go in and destroy. This is what they've done to Venezuela because Venezuela could no longer buy food or especially medicine in the international market. There are these two scholars in the United States, Weisbrot and Jeffrey Sachs, who have a, a think tank in Washington, D.C. And they calculated that in 2018 and 19 alone, 43,000 Venezuelans died directly due to these sanctions. You see, if you have HIV, if you're insulin 
insulin uh, deficient, if you have all these different sorts of cancers, you need specific uh, drugs. These are not drugs that Venezuela could all, all say, oh, we'll make them here. These are patent drugs of big pharma. And Venezuela could not could not get them, could not buy them. The government tried and, and big pharma would not sell it to them. So these people died because of those reasons, apart from uh, newborns and people who were already ill. 43,000 died just in that one year. So Venezuela was in a terrible situation. And thank goodness uh, it had uh, its, uh, it, its, its friends. The, the Chinese came with their great big planes and landed there with their planes full of food and medicine. The Russians did the same thing. Uh, we were able to sell things to India and to many of the Asian and African countries. They came and, and they traded with us and the large uh, uh, China and Russia gave us an enormous amount of real humanitarian aid. Then, of course, the uh, wonderful thing is that the grassroots you see the grassroots stepped up. And I'm talking about what we call communal councils. There are uh, communal councils, collectives, and communes. There are more than 50,000 of these in Venezuela. Um, there's not a, a, a part of the, the population that, except of course the elite, who does not belong to one or the other of these. The ones in the rural areas, they stepped up the production and were bringing the food to the cities. Um, it has been the, the rural communal councils that have been feeding the population of Venezuela during these terrible times. And uh, it, has, it is wonderful because it has brought together, you know, the rural and the urban here. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about whether you find surprising or not surprising at all that our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, has ran such a campaign against Venezuela, you know, the kinds of um, invest, investments they are making into, uh, this mil into this coup in Venezuela, supporting Juan Guaido, inviting him to Canada, even after the very Venezuelan opposition has, you know, has rejected him. Uh, you know, they had this idea that they were going to roll the role of who would be running the country, and I guess he's not even elected now. So can you talk a little bit about uh, that relationship? Because as a sociologist, you see the importance of understanding the story uh, we are living. And in, in Canada, I think with the Wasuwetan people here in British Columbia being terrorized by our Canadian government is not far. It's not hard to see the relationship of dispossession and the policies that are created by the government in Canada. There was an article in the newspaper. It was in the Financial Post, and they were talking. Well, they thought this was just marvelous. A budget that uh, Paul Martin brought forward uh, so many years ago, and I remember it very well. It was the first budget of austerity here in in, in Canada, and of course, the right wing, you know, uh, Post thought it was wonderful. But in that article, they quote Chrétien. Jean Chrétien was the prime minister. And they asked him, what was it that you really wanted to achieve when you were prime minister? And he said, John Cretin was a man who, who spoke very directly. And he said, I wanted three things. One, I wanted to maintain Canada independent from the United States. Two, I wanted the IMF 
out of Canada. Uh, and three, I wanted to maintain the unity of the country. I would say that uh, he managed all three of them. So in comes Paul Martin. He gets rid of the deficit, really. But he maintained, Chrétien maintained the independence of, of Canada vis-à-vis -vis the United States. He did not join in their uh in their plots to overthrow other countries. You know, when Chile was overthrown, you know, uh, Canada did not do this. Uh, uh, Trudeau was then. But uh, Chrétien did not join in any of those uh, actions against other countries. Indeed, he, he said that Canada would not go and invade Iraq. And thank goodness that he didn't. And the third thing is to maintain the unity of the country. You know, we, we nearly lost Quebec, but, you know, there was Chrétien uh, 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 carrying on with this. I would say that Trudeau has given Canada on his knees to the United States, all because of the NAFTA agreement. You see, Trudeau right now, Justin Trudeau is listening to two sides. He's listening, one, to the United States and he's listening, two, to the uh, lobby, the terrible um, uh, lobby that Canada has. Canada is one of the biggest, I would say it's the biggest place for the resources for obtaining resources from the land, you know, from ore, from gold, uh, from petroleum. And so this this lobby has been, uh, I, I think, as, as full access to uh, Trudeau. What has Trudeau done? He's brought into his cabinet a woman who is a uh, a Trojan horse, which is Freeland. Krista Freeland is a woman who spent most of her life in the United States working for, uh, nonetheless, Reuters. That is, uh, the creators of the lies of the world, you know, the, uh, the American uh, media. So this combination of wanting to placate the United States because all around him they're telling him uh, we have to do what 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 uh, Trump wants because if not uh, we will uh, get squashed in NAFTA or he'll give us sanctions or tariffs uh, and uh, the second of all are the uh, uh, th this lobby that we have what do they want they want Venezuela's gold the great gold companies, Barrick Gold and all of these big gold companies are the ones who are pressuring Trudeau and the government. Let's get rid of Maduro and let's take over the gold mines of Venezuela. Well, in Canada, we, we, we tend not to think that we're, we were a colony and that we continue being a colonizer. Yes, we were a colony of, of Britain, uh, which left us with, of, of an elite, which has a, a model in their heads of Europe. And of course, we are colonizing nation. What are the terrible things we've done to our indigenous people? I think it was 1980 when the last residential school was closed. We took kids away from their families and many of them were abused and even murdered and we did this not to one or two to to a whole people we did this so Canada doesn't want to face this and so we do these these funny little things like uh, we're going to have reconciliation well, that the reconciliation, the truth and reconciliation is very funny because it seems more like on one side than the other. And you have people who stand up before a meeting and say, oh, we honor the people of the Mohawk because we are standing on unceded land of the Mohawks. And I think, nonsense. 
If they weren't seated, let's give it back to them. What are we talking about? You know, we, we are starting a little bit uh, to, uh, to, to realize what we have done, but there's so much more to do and it has to do with their rights. You know, the indigenous people don't want, oh, a memory. Oh yes, the memory of the Mohawks or the Hurons or whatever. They want right now that their people are suffering. They have all the worst indicators of health in this country are amongst the indigenous people. They live less than the ordinary Canadian or the non-indigenous Canadian. They get, they have the worst morbidity. They have the worst uh, indicators of, of, of death and accidental death. They have the worst indicators of crime. In BC, you have that highway of tears where indigenous women and girls have disappeared. And there's no um, special inquiry over this. I'm always stunned. I was at a, a at a meeting. It was a protest in downtown Toronto. This was a few years back. Um, there was the, the unions were there and everything. I forget what we were protesting. And one fellow, I don't know, he tripped or was pushed by one of the guards there and he broke his arm. Well, there was an inquiry, a judicial inquiry. Few days later, over this union man's uh, arm. And we have not had an inquiry over the killed and disappeared women along the highway in BC. So these are the, the, the situations in Canada. We have to define who we are. You're listening to an interview with Venezuelan sociologist Maria Paez Victor. To hear uh, previous shows or access resources, please feel free to visit our website at www.latinwavesmedia.com. This has reached terrible situation with Latin America because now we have a very weak prime minister who has no sense of where this government, this country should be, and he has linked himself and us with them to these terrible adventures to overthrow the governments of Latin America. And on the other ear, he has been whispered by our own lobbies, this is good, we're going to overthrow Venezuela and we're going to get not only the petroleum, we're also going to get all the gold mines there. And it's doing the same thing with Bolivia. Oh, that's okay. Let's get rid of this indigenous fellow because then we can have access to the lithium in Bolivia and so and so on and so forth. We have to stop this politically. It's not good that we have, um, you know, little protest here and there. This has to be a political change in, in Canada, because if not, we're going to go down the same drain hole as the United States is going. What, what was the example that is so threatening to the world that both the U.S. is so intent on removing the elected Democratic president, Nicolás uh, Ma Maduro, uh, and uh, and and imposed this, um, you know, Juan Guaido, who's who's a nobody, who's not even elected to anything. Well, th th there are two things. First of all, Venezuela has the largest petroleum reserves in the world. They're all there. So of course the petroleum companies want there. The, the example is very important. They could not stand that a government that said our aim is to is to move towards socialism. It wasn't like socialism was already everything there, but this is our goal. We're going to be a socialist country. And that it was successful. That countries like South Africa, uh, like uh, 
Africa, really, uh, Latin America, so many things were saying, look what, what they've done. They simply took this all this money that used to go to the elites and look at the education, no more illiteracy. They're, they've got doctors. There's a doctor for every 40 persons. Uh, that Venezuela has created 3 million, 3 million units of housing. Uh, for for people in Venezuela, that no other country has done this, uh, that all its indicators of of health, of well being were fantastic, and so they said we we have to stop that, and the way we have to do this, we have to stop them having money, and this is where the sanctions came in, and this is where the uh, the uh, the economic war came. March fifth is the anniversary of the death of Hugo Chavez. And I'd like to touch a little bit on what that means for the people of Venezuela. But I also wonder if you could touch on the anniversary of the bridges, because they're the battle of the bridges. So here was the here was the plot. Colombia was united with the United States and Chile and the OAS. And they came up with this. Venezuela is in a very bad situation because of the socialist policies of Maduro, who is an usurper. So we have to help Venezuelan people and we have to give them humanitarian aid, whether they like it or not. Now, the international rules about giving humanitarian aid is that one, the country must ask for it. And second of all, it must be done with no military it must only be done through the Red Cross and 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 and, uh, and Doctors Without Borders, you know, these kinds of NGOs. So what do they do? They hold a a show with this horrible billionaire of the of England. He's the one who owns the Virgin Planes and Virgin Radio and all of that. Branson. They hold a a rock concert on the other side of a bridge that goes from Venezuela to uh, Colombia and, and to the city of Cucuta in Colombia. And in this, they do this show where they bring these, uh, pay, they pay uh, these uh, artists to sing and do their rock and their, and their rap and go on about how they're going to save Venezuela. And there were three, actually were four bridges uh, and each of those bridges the, the the government of Colombia, uh, what they did was they sent in the paratroopers dressed with the with the blue vest of supposed NGOs, and they had uh, four, four trucks supposedly full of uh, food. That's what they said, and they wanted by force to come through these bridges into Venezuela. Well, you know what they were doing underneath. Uh, the bridge, especially the main bridge where the trucks were, they had these hoodlums and self-confessed because afterwards, you know, there's the camera rolling. They were asking, these were outlaws. They had their faces covered and underneath the bridge, this humanitarian aid, they were building Molotov cocktails, pouring the, the gasoline into the bottles. This is This is the humanitarian aid. On the other side of the bridge was the Bolivarian police, just, you know, like a wall. They were standing there like a wall. They were not going to let anyone in. Behind them were the people. People came from all over the, the, the area and indeed the country to stand by their, their soldiers. 
and to defend their country and strategic resources that the United States and the corporations want. Well, one of the things that happened was that these hoodlums who had the um, uh, this this is the humanitarian aid. They, they the, the the trucks had a red cross on it, which was against the Geneva Convention because that was not the Red Cross, and they were using the Red Cross emblem. And they went up to the top and they started throwing um, Molotov cocktails to the Venezuelan side. Now this is very interesting because the Venezuelan side never used lethal force. The only thing they used was uh, the smoke bombs. Huh? And these guys were throwing Molotov cocktails. Well, one of the Molotov cocktails was faulty, and it fell on, on one of the trucks. The truck um, caught fire. All the trucks, the three trucks, caught fire. Then immediately, immediately when this happens, the the Colombians started saying, Maduro burnt the humanitarian aid. What kind of... of uh, individual does this. Almagro from the OAS started saying this is the worst thing he's ever seen. Well, thank goodness that there on, on the bridge were the cameramen for the New York Times. And in something quite amazing, the New York Times wrote three days later and showed with a video how Maduro did not burn that humanitarian aid. It was burnt on the side of Colombia. These, these trucks were nowhere near the Venezuelan uh, you know, uh, area and showed the exact fellow who threw the bomb and burnt the, uh, the trucks. But the most interesting thing was that in the ashes, they went to look at the ashes and guess what was in there? It wasn't food for babies. In there was all the artifacts that they needed to build, uh, uh, to build arms and to build barricades. So they were carrying in their uh, weapons of war. This is what they are. So it was a failure. It was a failure, and it became one of the greatest um, events in recent history in which the Venezuelan people proved to themselves and to the world that they are not an easy uh, country, that they are not a country that is going to give up, and that they will put their lives on the line to defend the land that they consider is the land of liberators. If you can, please watch on YouTube The Battle of the Bridges. It's on YouTube. And there's a documentary by Telesur also, which is called uh, The War of the, of the Bridges. Both, both are absolutely amazing. And they actually afterwards interview the people who took part in this. And you know what happened? The Colombians, when they saw that unity of the military with the people, they forgot all about this. It's as if they have erased this from their mind. The Colombians do not speak of what happened in February uh, of 2019. Uh, they want to extirp it from their memory, you know, because it was such a great failure. And you know who was there watching this failure? The president of Colombia, the president of Chile, Almagro from the Organization of American States, and Pence. And Guaido was there. Guaido was there waiting because he said, these people, these military, they're going to give up and come to me on the Colombian side. Of course, this didn't happen. 
Thank you so much for being with us today. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Waves Media to hear previous shows to access resources or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement. Thank you and bye for now.